Well, on a week that the Ontario Hockey League would absolutely love for us to be talking about a seven-game thriller in the Eastern Conference decided by one goal by the road team and yet another trip to the OHL Finals for the London Knights who do it with a bunch of no-names, I think, this year. Certainly not the same star power as we've seen from the Knights in years past. We're going to talk about anything but what has happened on the ice because it's off the ice where the biggest news in the Ontario Hockey League has been made in the past several weeks. My name is, or pardon me, the past several days. My name is Mike Farwell. You'll find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. Let me just set it up this way, Dan, and then throw it over to you. The big news off the ice, of course, in the last several days is the $100,000 fine levied on the Niagara Ice Dogs. Along with that $100,000 fine, there is a loss of a first-round selection in 2024. They won't get their first-rounder. Darren Dobler, who is still the team owner, cannot act as GM. He's been suspended from his general manager duties for the next two years. And team captain Landon Cato and goaltender Josh Rosenswag have been banned from the Ontario Hockey League for life for violating the league's code of conduct under the maltreatment, bullying, and harassment policy. There is a lot of there there. Those are the sanctions. What's your first thought? Which branch off this tree would you like to begin on? (laughs) Well, my first thought, Mike, is we've been talking all year about what a mess Niagara has been. And they said, wait a minute, hold my beer. (laughs) Because... Uh, just just a ridiculous end so i mean there's so many angles we can come at this one with mike and i'm just going to start right up front with how about the draft that just happened and the kids they drafted and convinced to come their way last minute ryan rubrak decided to to sign with niagara ice dogs did he know this was coming um maybe not how does him he and his family feel about it and that's just one angle to this whole thing i mean obviously we don't want to get into a whole lot of speculation about what took place there. But when you took look at the penalties you just described, like there's something pretty serious there and pretty seriously wrong. And uh, the fact that he was even acting as owner and GM in the first place was probably worth uh, some sanction from the league. But uh, but just an absolute nightmare season in Niagara for a multitude of reasons. So why not cap it off with uh, with a big boom like this? I don't think there's much doubt i agree we don't want to engage in speculation here but i don't think there's much doubt that the penalties imposed on the players cato and rosenswag under bullying harassment maltreatment etc must involve hazing rituals of some some sort i'd be shocked if it was anything but to your point though on what about the players just drafted this is one of the angles of the story and again there are so many angles to come at this story from But this is one of the angles that bothers me quite a bit, Dan, from the league's perspective. I'll say this. I think that the sanctions, the severity of the sanctions are appropriate based on what we know and what we assume to know in this. I applaud the league for the severity because clearly this is sending a message. However, I have a number of concerns with the league, one of them that you just alluded to. The timing of this announcement, is it not a little bit suspect? Do you not think 
that the league had this information in its hands before the draft. That was what, 10 days, two weeks ago. I think the league probably did have this information. And so it begs the question, and I think we know the answer. So I'll call it a rhetorical question. Why is the information only being released now? And why are the sanctions only being applied now? Uh, excellent question. And if you read the the league's news release on this penalty, Mike, it suggested that this had been an ongoing investigation for most of the year, if not all of the year. This is not new. Uh, there had been obviously some time lapse in between because you're reading why Darren Dobler got suspended and, and had the penalty he incurred was because he interfered with the investigation, according to their own language. So this has been going on for a while. Obviously, it was well known. I don't know how well known in the uh, community of players that were eligible for the draft, but it's a small community. I'm sure word traveled. So the timing, you're absolutely right, is quite suspicious that they allowed this to come down so soon after the draft when they obviously knew something was amiss. Um, so there's just so many angles you can attack this from. But, I mean, it's it's equal parts a good look for league and a terrible look for the league. Mostly a terrible look for league, I would actually say. Just the optics are so poor. The piece that's good, I will just say, having just seen an NHL draft lottery where a team that covered up uh, some sexual assaults on one of their prospects uh, a few years ago was able to win the draft lottery. I think the OHL, at least we can say for them, they take these things seriously and they penalize teams who violate their code of conduct. So they they have that um, maybe as a selling feature to these players coming to league, Mike. Maybe it says these you're your players will be safe in our league. Uh, we're zero tolerance on hazing, zero tolerance on cover-ups. So there is a little bit of a silver lining here, but still the optics are just so poor when this stuff is still going on. Yeah, I'm with you on the little bit of the silver lining, emphasis on the little bit. And I, I come at this, Dan, as I think being on record as a pretty strong proponent, not just of this league, but of the commissioner in the league office. And and my faith here has been shaken quite a bit, especially in this latest round, because the timing of this, let's be honest, the Niagara Ice Dogs had already gotten commitments from their first three picks. What, in all honesty, hope or prospects do these young men have of seeing a championship with the Niagara Ice Dogs when two years from now, no, next year, the first rounders forfeited because of all of this. The team has already shown itself to be pretty messy. I mean, maybe Darren Dobler not acting as GM is going to help if he's suspended from those duties in the next two years. But the bottom line is it, it smacks to me about almost deliberately on the league's part, putting kids into a bad situation because for whatever reason, it has determined that just keeping the ice dogs in the league is worth sacrificing the development and potential championship opportunities for these players the, the team just drafted. Yeah, yeah, you know, Mike, the underlying thing for me in all of this too is, I mean, you, you have a great arena there. The fans were coming out and supporting the team at the end of the year. So you hate to see the community penalized in what is a very viable market. But the underlying thing for me is the onus always, the responsibility always has to fall on those who committed the actions. And why is this stuff still happening? Why are there still players that are committing these these acts and that are getting themselves into trouble? It's just, it's it's horrible for the entire hockey community. When are people going to wake up? Because whatever this was, it occurred this season. This season is far too late. 
to to claim you didn't know this was wrong. You didn't know you shouldn't be doing this. So to me, despite all of the various narratives we can come up with here that point a lot of fingers at a lot of people from the league to the franchise on down, it uh, to me, the buck ultimately stops with those who committed the wrongdoing and it's got to stop happening. But but to your point about the franchise, Mike, you, you, we also should acknowledge this was a team that bid for the Memorial Cup next year. This was one of the teams that was in that, felt they were in that running. And, and I mean, this stuff obviously was known to the league earlier. So just a complete gong show in Niagara this year. And it shows how, I guess, out to lunch or or tone deaf that group was to be to be proceeding the way they were, knowing this stuff was going on. Okay, I'm going to come back to the franchise in a moment because this is actually the third time in as many years or was the first sanctioned 2019. I'm getting mixed up now. I think it was 2021. Doesn't matter. And it dates back to earlier recruiting violations. But still, the sanction was applied after all the appeal and the draft pick was forfeited in 21, if I'm not mistaken. But we'll come back to the franchise in a minute. I'm getting hotter and hotter as we have this conversation because you talk about the team and and the the ownership the group around it being tone deaf well they must be getting fed something from somewhere and again since we started on the timing the very curious timing of this and i think that's a failing or at least a a really bad look for the league office i'm just going to call it out for what it is and i want to know the answer to this question does anything matter to the league office besides the number of dollars in a potential owner's bank account because surely to goodness and i'm not that close to saint catherine's geographically i cover the western conference i get accused of that western bias a lot so fair play i get you but i i heard some rumblings from the eastern conference side of the league and some of my colleagues in ohl media about darren de and his track record as an owner in the greater Ontario Junior Hockey League, the Junior B Loop. And they were saying things early on in his ownership of the Ice Dog, saying, I don't know how this guy even qualified as an owner in the O based on his track record in the GOJHL. So what the hell is the league doing here? And truly, do the dollars matter more? Do they trump all? It's a, it's a bad look here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just that last statement, Mike, hits the nail on the head. It's the it's the optics, and and I don't know everything that went on behind the scenes. I don't know all the details, but I can go by optics. And the optics are awful. It looks to me like you had that complete implosion with the Burke family. Terrible optics for the league, and they wanted to move the news cycle really quickly and jumped on the first person they could find willing to jump in there and rescue the franchise. And there was not a serious vetting process at all. That are that those would be the optics. So to answer your question about whether they're taking the first option with the biggest bank account, I don't know how many people are lined up to buy these franchises. Mike, we talked about this in our previous pod where it sure looks like a a great opportunity for people. And why wouldn't there be a lineup? I don't know. Maybe there's not, Um, but it's the optics would suggest that the options are slim when you're quickly moving to to people like this without much vetting, and it looked to me like just to quickly move on from the Burks, but sometimes the grass isn't always greener. Well, I'll tell you this much for free, Dan. If this is the sort of owner, and I, I don't mean to disparage Darren Dobler here, but goodness gracious, the way the team was run this year, now this it, it has not been a banner year for a new owner in the league. And if and if this is 
the kind of owner that you're allowing into the league, if there was a lineup, I'll bet you some people have left it because who'd want to be a part of a league where something like this happens? Let's not forget. And it's absolutely relevant here. We are less than 10 years removed from the big mess in Flint and Rolf Nilsson is still the owner there. Well, I mean, we know just in general in life that as a general rule, people that have uh, an awful lot of money and power and entitlement aren't always necessarily the most savory individuals that that can be the case. So you have these people lining up and they can be for a variety of reasons. It can be great owners. We've seen some great owners in this league that are in it for the right reasons and do the right things. And then we see all kinds of ego and all kinds of detachment, people that want their kids on the team, all this kind of nonsense that, that goes on. And it's the league's job to sort through that. And I don't necessarily want to impugn Darren to Dobler just yet. He's claimed he's going to uh, appeal this. He he obviously feels that this, this punishment is unfair to him. So we'll wait and hear his case, hear what he has to say. Uh, and so that said, the only, the only people yet I can totally impugn are the, the two players who were banned from the league to be banned from this league under those clauses that they referenced suggest it was pretty bad. Now, I know it's only their their overage season that they're forfeiting, whether they were going to play or not. However, that that's pretty serious accusation or pretty serious uh, allegations against them. So, I again, I always come back to the bottom line: be accountable for yourself, be accountable for the actions, the root actions here to those players who committed them. When are we going to wake up here? When are we going to stop doing these things? And to me, that's the bottom line in this story, Mike. Darren Dobler, as noted a moment ago with any level of vetting, according to some fans and observers in the Eastern Conference of the OHL, might have raised some red flags. Let's just put this on the record, and you've probably seen this, Dan, but Darren Dobler, along with the Niagara Ice Dogs, has his fingerprints on two other junior hockey teams in Ontario. The Brantford 99ers in the Ontario Junior Hockey League that played a 52-game schedule this past season and went five 46 and one Darren Dobler also has the Brantford bandits in the junior B loop, the greater Ontario junior hockey league in 50 games this year, the bandits went to 45 and three. Somehow that still qualifies for the playoffs where they were swept in four games being outscored 40 to two. And then you've got the Niagara ice dogs in the Ontario junior hockey league that over the course of 68 games went 12, 47, 8, and 1. In 170 games under Darren Dobler's control this year, his teams went a combined 19, 138, 12, and 1. To put it another way, Darren Dobler's teams this past season won 19, of 170 games. I, so, you can't make that stuff up. No, and if, if I'm doing the math, let me just carry the one here. I think I think his three teams combined for fewer wins than the Niagara Ice Dogs made trades this year. Also so. true, and, and by a fairly <laughs> significant number. <laughs> so all, all of this adds up. Again, optics. I don't. I didn't get to see the, the other two franchises play, but those track records are pretty awful on the ice. The optics are pretty terrible off the ice. Uh, you got to imagine that there are 
better folks out there to run the franchise. But uh, yeah, we'll see time as time goes by and comes out. But those are pretty awful uh, stats to try and convince someone to come play for your team. You touched on the fan base earlier, and I think that's worth noting here for the fine people in and around the Niagara Peninsula that supported this team in a brutal season. I mean, I was there for a Saturday night game late in the season, late-ish anyway, and they still packed the place. It was a terrific atmosphere. So as you alluded to, it's a beautiful junior hockey arena. It's beautiful. It's just what you want for junior hockey. It's got a fan base that, for whatever reason, was still turning out in droves, at least on the night I was there. And by all accounts, attendance, while down, didn't disappear, didn't fall off a cliff, let's say. The the organization or the fan base deserves so much better here. And isn't it incumbent upon the league right now? I mean, I I get your point earlier, Dan, about trying to move on as quickly as possible from the Burke ownership fiasco. If they don't have the right taker, the right buyer, the league can step in and and run the franchise for a couple of years, whatever it takes to avoid something like this, because I think you're just setting the clock back now on quality in St. Catharines and, and you're losing the opportunity. I mean, if fans turn away now, who'd blame them? Yeah, oh, totally. And, but if you, if you look at the glass half full side, Mike, and you just touched on it, you talked about Saturday night game where they had a great crowd in there and the atmosphere was terrific. And if I'm not mistaken, the game after that, which was against a lesser draw of an opponent, and I believe they, if they didn't sell out, they came awfully darn close. So what that tells me from a distance is there's all kinds of potential in this community. There's all kinds of potential for this to be a, a, a leading franchise. If you get good players in the mix, well-coached, well-developed with a good GM in there, all kinds of opportunities. So I don't, for me, as a pure business person, if you're looking at this, you got to see opportunity there. And the league should have a few people knocking on their door saying, hey, look, I'll run this thing. If they're getting 5,000 to watch this team, imagine what we could do with a a well-run organization. So from the glass half full side, I, I would have to think other people are noticing that as well. All right. To close the loop on the trifecta of disastrous situations for the ice dogs there was the recruitment violation that resulted in a fine and a loss of a first round pick i should have checked before we started this i apologize i think the the lost pick was in 2021 it could have been as early as 2019 regardless that goes into the burke family fiasco and the the group chat to a variety of team staffers that was Uh, so vulgar and insensitive as to ultimately, well, it led to the suspension of Joey and Billy Burke, uh, head coach and GM for a couple of years, at which time mom and dad said, we're just going to get rid of this franchise. And that was the end of the Burke family ownership. And then, by the way, uh, stiff penalties and those uh, financial penalties, plus those suspensions involved in that one. And now this mess this year, that's where we're at with the Niagara Ice Dogs right now. We still need to talk about, I think, a little bit more, and you've touched on it, Dan, but what may have happened behind the scenes here to lead to the expulsion from the league for both Landon Cato and Josh Rosenswag. I will submit to you that culture starts at the top, and we've talked a lot about the Ontario Hockey League right now, so I'm going to put the Ontario Hockey League at the very top of this in allowing 
owners like this to treat franchises like Darren Dobler treated this franchise this year to maybe withholding information until a draft is done. It's not a good look as we've already established for the league. So that says something about the culture at the league offices. Then you've got the culture of ownership slash management, which uh, by virtue of the sanctions interfered with the investigation while it was ongoing, not to mention treated the team like a fantasy hockey team all season long with the 27 trades transactions whatever and now we drill it down to the leadership group on the team landon cato was the ice dogs captain this past season there is a lot to dislike about this culture of leadership that i can see from the top all the way down oh for sure and mike if we can sum this whole thing up i mean i don't want to again go all mr rogers here but one thing could solve all of this. And that's just be decent human beings off the ice. That's it. That's it. That's the bottom line in all of this. The the text chat you referenced, the uh, the off-ice activities that got them in trouble. If people are just decent human beings off the ice, we're not even having this conversation. So I don't know how many times we have to say this and broadcast this message in the hockey world and over and over and over, but to these kids coming into the league and good on you, Ryan Rubrick and the family for signing there. And maybe you can be their hope. Maybe you can move this franchise forward as the, the top pick, but to any, any of the kids coming up and any of the people looking to take over a team or run a team, just be decent people, just be good people. And there's never a problem, period. We do still have some hockey to talk about, and they were pretty good championship series. We've got our performers of the week to get to, but I think there's also a conversation connected to this with the new board at Hockey Canada. So all of that is still to come, but we're not yet done with this particular story. I hope you're right, Dan, that Ryan Rubrick can maybe be something of a savior here and, and get this franchise back headed in the right direction. I like Ryan Kuwabara as a coach. I hear nothing but good things. I think he's in a really icky situation here. Maybe one of the solutions, and I've heard this from people that know far more about hockey operations in the OHL than I do, but maybe if Darren Dobler who is not allowed to be the GM for two years, not allowed to perform those duties. Maybe he takes this severe slap on the wrist seriously and just gets the heck out of the way and puts some hockey people in place to run the hockey club. Because again, we've already alluded to the market and, and what it offers. If it, it wouldn't take a whole lot to, to get this team moving in the right direction. You got the coach already, get some good management in there. You got players like Rubrik already signed. You never know. Oh, for sure. Like like I said, there's all kinds of potential there, all kinds of opportunity, and just a slew of good hockey people out there that would be available and probably putting their hands up saying, pick me, pick me. I'd love to, to help out. So I think, yeah, when you set aside some ego and, and put your lean on good people in your franchise, bring in the right people. There's all kinds of opportunity to rescue this. This is not a lost cause by any stretch. It's just the people making the decisions have to start making the right ones sooner or later, or it's going to, everyone's going to pay the price and no one wants to see that. Let me take 
a second here to spin the wheel of relocation, if you don't mind. And I acknowledge that relocating doesn't necessarily solve the problem of the owner unless you take it away from the owner and give it to local interests in the new location. Not to mention you're robbing a city that we've already talked about as a very good junior hockey city and a perfect arena of a franchise. However, Cornwall's name always comes up. Chatham has gained some traction in the last little while with plans for a new arena to be built there. And they've got some casino money in that town now too. So you never know would be interesting. However, I think on far more credible terms, we know absolutely that the city of Brantford wants to have a franchise, whether that becomes the Bulldogs permanently or not. We know it's the Bulldogs for the next three years, but Brantford is absolutely in the mix. And more recently, I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm hearing that Belleville may be back in the market as the AHL's senators look for a new home and that re, uh, refurbished, renovated former Yardman Arena is now tailor-made for the Ontario Hockey League again. And boy, oh boy, would that be a nice city to put back on the circuit. Well, you're you're singing my tune, Mike. As you know, m- much of my family's in the Belleville area, so I have a soft spot. Grew up there going to games, and it's, it's a hockey town through and through. And I can tell you from a lot of those family members that were Bulls season ticket holders that morphed over to be Belleville Center season ticket holders, just hockey supporters through and through, they very much want the Bulls back. They want the OHL back. It hasn't been the same without it. Uh, the AHL has the up and down problem. You never know who's going to be playing on any given night. Uh, the good players get siphoned away pretty quickly. It's a junior town, Mike, and I think that's got all kinds of uh, viability there just with with its relatively central location, its hockey history. Um, Belleville has got to be a viable option for an OHL franchise, so it's nice to see some options for the league. But I know the, I know the folks in Belleville would dearly love to have an OHL team back. I really think that the Niagara area still – absolutely warrants a team for all the reasons we've already mentioned and again i'm i'm trying my best to not make this personal but to call this a bumpy ride a bumpy start to one's ownership stake in the ontario hockey league would be an understatement here so i don't know if the answer here is the league finally playing some hardball and saying you've lost the right to own a team in this league and just find a new owner for a really good market. I'll just leave that there. I, I'm sure that my frustration is is coming across here. I love this league. I really do. I don't love what's happened in this situation this year. Don't forget, it was it was still just earlier this year, right? The where was it last year? The Terry Christensen stuff in Flint. I'm get it's all blurring now, but it's it's too much too recently. And it's just not a good look. I want the players that come to this league to succeed in the league, to develop as not just athletes, but as young men in the league. And when we see these systemic cultural problems still rearing their heads, it bothers the hell out of me. It really does. And if you want to just trick, uh, talk strictly from a, a business perspective, we all know that the NCAA is trying to eat and has been trying to eat the OHL's lunch for years. Well, guess what? You're letting you're making it pretty easy for them to just reach onto your cafeteria table and take your carrot sticks because they're coming for more than just that. The way this league is going right now, just some awful, awful looks. Okay, real quick, I think one more branch on this tree, Dan, that's worth exploring a tiny bit. 
because when I mention systemic cultural problems, it brings up the much bigger issue within Hockey Canada. We know the federal government froze funding. That's been unfrozen as they implement a new board of directors. But this might also be, might it not, a litmus test or some sort of test for this new board? And, and let's, you know, will, will Hockey Canada have any say in this? Is, is this another indication of things within the game that need to be corrected and maybe a new board can move us in that direction from the hockey Canada perspective. Well, I think it has to. And I think, I, I think when you talk about the trust and faith that has been eroded, and does anyone put your hands up in Canada? If you have faith in hockey Canada right now, I I'm guessing you're not going to see too many hands. And that's because that was completely eroded with how this whole situation was handled. So it's incumbent upon the new board. Let's hope they took it seriously. I'm a big fan of Hugh Fraser. There's some there's some people in there that that ha- absolutely have the right mentality, the right background, the right mindset t- to do this. But it's going to be a show me thing, and it's going to have to be a show me thing because the way that whole scandal with the World Junior Team was handled was just made most of us sick to our stomach. I don't know about you, Mike, but for I know myself and a few others, it made it made it hard to really get behind the World Junior Team this year, just based on the legacy of this. So there's a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do with the, like you said, the culture, the legacy, and just establishing that that faith that the people at the top have the best interests of the kids and the community at heart, and that there are things that trump being a good hockey player. So I hope you're right, Mike. I think uh, a new board was obviously the first step, but it's going to be a show me for me. I'm not willing to just uh, assume that's going to happen till they, till they show me. That's absolutely the same over here. And I'm going to say the same about the Ontario Hockey League. It's got some reparations to make here, and it's got to show me that it is serious about the way owners treat their franchises in this league. Uh, Okay, I think we've sufficiently pruned that tree. Again, I'm incredibly frustrated by this. It gives me no joy to have these conversations at the time we're now getting set for an Ontario Hockey League championship, which looks like a pretty damn good one. But your thoughts always welcome. As mentioned, I'm on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Dan is at Dan Mahar. And send us an email anytime, OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Let's start in the West as we reflect on the Western Conference Championships, Dan. Uh, we both had, well, I guess we've gone completely opposite. We went over. We stuck with the girls we brought to the dance saying it's going to be Sarnia and North Bay in the final. And the London Knights, I won't go so far as to say shocked because it's the London Knights. But in a season that every pundit, you and I included back at the beginning, said, we don't think they have the scoring. We don't think they have the experience. They just ho-hummed their way all the way to another OHL championship appearance. Their first since 2016, a year that they won the OHL championship and went to the Memorial Cup. Yeah, what more can you say about the London Knights? I mean, that it's impressive no matter how you slice it. And we've referenced a bunch of times how this was not supposed to be their big year. They didn't go all in. They made a couple of nice additions, but they... They were measured in their approach this year, knowing that it was it was next year and down the road they were really going to press. But they just got better and better through the year. They peaked at the right time. And when you can make every team you encounter look listless out there, look unengaged, you know, if it if it happens once, you say, oh, wow, the opponent really didn't show up. If it happens twice, say, you know, 
I'm not sure, but when it starts happening three and four times here, you're saying, you know, it's, it's the team doing it to them. It's the London Knights and the system they're playing. And if you asked me to describe the London Knights in two words, I, I'd say no passengers. That whole team, everyone plays a role. Everyone makes sure they show up in some way to impact that game. And they come at you in waves and they have a concerted game plan. And when you look at the video work and, and prep work that coaching staffs do, Mike, I think first and foremost, you look when they, they came to play Kitchener, who is rolling in hot, having just obliterated the top team in the West. What did they do? They got a body on Simon Motu on D every chance they could. Not many uh, people know a lot about Simon Motu, but he was probably the Rangers' best defensive defender. And London identified that. London attacked that. A little easier to identify Ethan Del Mastro and Sarni as the guy you got to do it to, but they did it to him. They laid the body every time. They're, they have a very well thought out plan and well executed plan. And you just got to tip your cap to the London Knights, no matter what, no matter what you feel about them, always winning. Um, the New York Yankees, the OHL, we call them, but they're, uh, you got to hand it to them, Mike. They they improve, improve, improve. They figure out their opponents. They game plan well and and full credit to them. I love the way you put that no passengers and i gotta say the part of it that impresses me the most is the execution of this plan how you consistently get players of this age to buy in uh, it defies my imagination or my ability but it is impressive stuff and in a statement that might come back to be one of the most colossally inaccurate statements. And I say this, I hope it does, because as a Leafs fan, it would be great if Toronto came all the way back from three, nothing down. As we record this, they have not yet played game four versus Florida. I still have faith in the Leafs, but I clearly understand that history is against them here. And it looks like in the NHL for the Leafs, Hey, they finally won a round and then promptly ousted from the playoffs. I feel bad for the fan base in Sarnia, you're finally out of the second round. You're loaded for bear with a really talented team. And it fizzles out against London in the West final. So you got out of the second round, but that was it. And now what? 25 years until you can go further than that. It, it's, it's too bad. I feel, I feel for the fan base. They built a good team here. Uh, I don't think that the organization has anything to hang, hang their heads about in Sarnia. No. And you know, Mike, we talk about the playoffs all the time and it being the ultimate team time of year. And that sounds cliche. Oh, of course you got to play as a team, but what does that actually mean? What it means is that when a player does his job, the uh, he can trust the other four doing their job too, to be in the right lanes, be in the right spots, have their brains and legs engaged. And what you get when that happens is you get some pretty special players on the other side looking pretty ordinary because they don't have lanes. They don't have space. They can't do the things they could do in the regular season. You saw it. You referenced the Leafs. You saw it a little bit with the Leafs in the last couple of playoffs with uh, some of their top guns being shut down by some really good defensive players with really good schemes against them. And that's what you're seeing with the London Knights when they played uh, Kitchener, when they played Sarnia is those top players in the other team are special players, but you can't do it by yourself in the playoffs. And when you're looking for those those lanes and those routes and you don't have them, that's when you need the other four guys out there with you. And they just consistently got frustrated because no one had the answer to that scheme London plays. And that's that's the ultimate team approach, really. I think we would be remiss if we didn't give a nod to Zachary Bowen, who came in for an injured Brett Brochu and Boy, oh boy, if the Sarnia Sting had their chance, and they took advantage early, but Bowen settled in, and it's Zachary Bowen, the rookie, 
who backstops the Knights to the West Championship. Yeah, what a what a special performance by that putting Zach Bowen in that situation. And again, not to take anything away from Zach Bowen, but again, another sign of a team that's just playing really effectively as a team is when you can just flip goalies no problem seamlessly without much difference. Now, obviously, both Bowen and Brochure are terrific goalies, so that helps. But I got the feeling that you could put uh, the third stringer in for London. They probably still would win that series just because of how cohesive they were. And and that's that's something special, a junior. Okay, let's flip to the other side. And as expected, I believe we both took a seven-game series for Pete's battalion. But the team that we did not pick ended up on the winning side. We had battalion coming out of the East. I think they have a well-built team, much like I just said about Sarnia. I don't think Adam Dennis and Ryan Ulihan and that entire staff up there in North Bay has anything to hang their heads about. The fan base was right there, fully engaged to basic a near sellout for game seven. But I would submit to you, Dan Mahar, that the Peterborough Peets did this season what the Kitchener Rangers could not. A team that started loading up early in the East and for whatever reason, it just didn't seem to be coming together until it did. And once it did, the Peterborough Peets marched their way and they were down 3-2 in the series, don't forget. Had to win on home ice in overtime to force the seventh game. They go on the road and they punch a ticket to the OHL final. Pretty damned impressive stuff. Absolutely. And make no mistake about it. Those Peterborough Peets are a full championship team on paper. When you've got guys like Chase Stillman playing on the third line, that's a deep roster. And we talked about them being built for the playoffs. You look at that back end, Maya, Spearing, Zanetti. These are guys that are heavy and hard to play against. And over the course of a series, that grinds you down. But I think what impressed me the most about the Peterborough Peets victory, Mike, was just the, the commitment to those little things that win you games. And those two things that jump right off the page at me are discipline and the sacrificing of bodies. If you watch game seven, which was a Titanic battle, both those teams are championship caliber. So it was going to be a coin flip, but the number of shots, those Peterborough Peets blocked in all of them, just sacrificing the body. I think Spearing himself probably had about 10. It was just ludicrous. They were in every lane, just frustrating Ty Nelson on the point there, doing what you got to do to win, fronting those pucks. And then on the discipline side, I think early on in that game, Michael Simpson net got a couple bumps. Uh, clearly, they're trying to maybe get in his head a little. One one for sure probably should have been called a penalty. Um, did not let it get to them. Did not take stupid, undisciplined penalties. Did not try to avenge the goalie. Stuck to the game plan as a team. Said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to stay disciplined. We're going to stay focused, and we're going to pull this out. And so, so they did. They got a big road win and a tough place to play against a really good team. So, again, you don't make the OHL final without – being full marks and the, and the Peter Ropeets were just speaking to how well built these teams were. I just want to give a nod because I find this stuff really interesting to the acquisitions that were playing critical roles here in the respective conference championships. I mean, look at Josh Bloom who opened the scoring for North Bay tonight and had goals in each of the final three games for the battalion, even though they come up short, it was Gavin white who scored the overtime winner in game six to keep the Pete's alive. The acquisition of course, from the Hamilton Bulldogs, Owen Beck's on the score sheet. Brennan Othman's on the score sheet tonight for the Peterborough Pete's both acquisitions by Mike Oak in the Liftlock city of Peterborough and paying dividends. And I don't think I even have to mention Ryan Winterton's name and what he did in that series versus Sarnia. Clearly, Ryan Winterton 
wants to change the script, having gone to the Memorial Cup last year and losing in the final after winning an OHL championship with Hamilton, he clearly has his sights set on another run. Yeah, we know like it, it was an arms race like no other in the OHL this year, and we knew that all those teams knew they were going to have to make additions. So just do you make the right ones? Do they show up at the right time? And I think at the end of the day, it's the teams that whose acquisition stepped up the most at this time of year that are getting through. And we're going to see that now with, with Peterborough against London, but, uh, but you're right. Josh Bloom had a, had an awful drought there to start the playoffs and then came up big in the, at the end of this series. And, and there's, when you have a game between teams like that, our series between teams like that going seven, it's going to be a one goal game. I mean, it's an anyone can win type of scenario and uh, you hate to see any of them go home, but uh, no one that paid for a ticket in these OHL playoffs regretted it. It's a very good point. Let's uh, before we move on to our performers of the week, uh, we didn't plan this, but I think we kind of have to, since we're here, we have to make our picks for the OHL final because by the time we sit down again, I mean, it might be over. Okay. It won't be over, but anyway, uh, we've got London, and Peterborough in the final, who you got, Dan Mahar? I'm a slow learner, Mike, but I learn. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I think both teams are great, full marks to both, but I, I'm going with London in this one, Mike, and London in six. And it's just because of that cohesion we talked about, that team game. Until I see someone solve it, I don't know how I can go against them. And, and for my money, Sarnia was the most loaded for bear roster. They couldn't solve it at all. So I've got London in six, Mike. How about you? It's funny when you said I'm a slow learner, but I've learned. I don't know if it was just before we started recording that we were talking about Peterborough and you said every time we pick them to lose, <laughs> they win. So I thought you were going there. I'm with you. And no disrespect to Peterborough. I love what they've done. I, I love the switch they found and flipped. I'm taking London in five. That team is suffocating and I, they're just, they're buzzing. No, they're not buzzing. They're humming. They're just humming along. There's nothing spectacular about it. But if you like winning, then that's the spectacular part. So I'll take the Knights in five to uh, head to Kamloops for the Memorial Cup. All right. Uh, performer of the week. Who you got on that score today? All right. Yeah, you touched on him just a, just a moment ago, Mike. And I got to go with uh, the big acquisition the Knights did make, which is Ryan Winterton. And I think... There was all kinds of options this week on all four of the teams playing. I had a list. My list was probably as long as it's ever been, Mike. We only had four teams. So uh, lots of guys could have got the nod this week. But I got to go with Ryan Winterton for the mere fact that when when they acquired him, didn't know if that was going to be enough potency on offense for the London Knights this year. But he really does everything well. And if you watch those London Knights game, you talk about all the players being fully engaged. Well, Ryan Winterton's engaged 200 feet. 100 feet across, he's just go, go, go. He wins, his, gets his body in the right position, wins the puck battles, chips in on offense, gets the puck out. Uh, he's just a fully committed player who knows how to win championships. And I think the term the term beast might have been used a few times when I was watching their last game against Sarnia. So, so the top of the heat for me this week, Mike, was Ryan Winterton. Who have you got? You surprise me, Mr. Mahar. You really surprise me because last week you kind of went – off paper and took Sean Spearing, the kind of stay-at-home defenseman, the shot blocking that you already referenced again this week, and and great reasons to pick him last week. But I thought Winterton was almost too obvious for you yeah. because you like to go away from it. I, I can't disagree. And in fact, the only reason I didn't take Ryan Winterton is because it was just 
too obvious. Yeah. I, I had a shorter list, I think, than yours, but I I stroked off Winterton right away because, yeah, seven goals, four assists in six games over Sarnia. How do you overlook that? Because everybody's looking at it. So I went down a notch or two further, and I settled on Denver Barkey. Three goals, three assists, and a plus six in his past three games. This is a draft-eligible kid. Uh, what a way to finish off the West final and watch for the London Knights, as we've talked about when it comes to the uh, OHL championship here. Oh, terrific pick. Yeah. And I, I, I got to tell you, Denver Barkey, Easton Cowan, Isaiah George were all on my list. Uh, all fantastic series. Denver Barkey was actually my runner up this week. So I can't <laughs> disagree with your pick there either. Just a phenomenal player. And to think, yes, he's draft eligible. The London Knights have that kid for a couple more years. You don't often see 17 year olds impacting playoff series this, this much. All right. Here's to hoping that when we meet again in a week's time, you and I, Dan Mahar, we can talk about what's going on in the OHL championship and no more of this nonsense. Although this nonsense does need to be discussed. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, there had better be conversations much like this, maybe with a lot more expletives attached to them in league offices. And when the board of governors meets this summer, uh, let's hope there is a a level of sincerity and seriousness around making sure that our league, and I'll, I'll call it ours because I, I count myself amongst the fans of it, uh, is in good hands and is in a healthy form as we look ahead to the 23-24 campaign. Yeah, well said, Mike. I don't have much to add other than, yeah, that, that caveat we put in earlier, if you're coming into the league next year, just be a decent human being off the ice, period. The rest will take care of itself. All right. Uh, before we bring to an end this episode of the OHL podcast, I'd like to tease uh, the guest that's coming up for our feature interview on Friday. If I were to ask you, Dan, what was the best Memorial Cup that this Ontario Hockey League has ever seen? Which one would you pick? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. I'm going to go full bias and go with my 1990 Kitchener-Oshawa final in, in Hamilton. That was just as intense and electrifying as you'll ever see. And it's full full rank, uh, 17,000 in there for that one. Terrific overtime finish. Uh, I know I'm biased, Kitchen Ranger fan at the time. So uh, that's got to be mine. But uh, is that what you were thinking, Mike? That's exactly what I'm okay. thinking. And and I don't know how much, maybe I, I'm just so, uh, I've got my blinders on so tightly that I can't see the bias there. But I have a hard time arguing that. Even as you say, a Rangers fan, they didn't win just that whole playoff seven games versus Oshawa in the OHL final they meet again through the round robin and then in the Memorial Cup final it's not settled till double overtime I mean my goodness I don't think you could ask for anything better Hamilton was supposed to host it gets yanked from them it turns out to be a blessing in disguise anyway all of that is to say yes it is the 1990 Memorial Cup that I'm talking about and for some reason uh, we've had a nice little run this season of guests from that Oshawa championship team, including uh, the former Jens captain, uh, Ian Fraser. We've had Mike Torkey on this podcast, the goaltender that lost it for the Rangers that year, uh, a way back. And so we're digging back into or diving back into that well. And when I reached out to this guest and we arranged it, I said, I just want to talk to you about that 1990 Memorial Cup. And he says, I can't wait. He was on, he was on the winning side of it. I'll tell you that. And he coached for a minute or two with the Guelph Storm in the Ontario Hockey League, now hanging out in Europe. And he'll be here with us on the OHL podcast this Friday. That's all. Okay, 
okay, he may have coached in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization too. I'll just leave it right there. That might help you a little bit more. That's our guest on Friday. Nice. I can't wait. That was uh, one of my hockey highlights for my entire life. So can't wait. Dan Mahar is the guy over there. My name is Mike Farwell. Find Dan on Twitter at Dan Mahar. Find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Send us an email anytime. OHL podcast at Rogers.com. Tell us what you think of the league. Maybe we'll read your email on next week's episode. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.